Hey everyone, it's Father Pat here today to offer you my reflections on the scripture readings for today. Our readings today are from the fifth Sunday of Easter. Our reading from the Acts of the Apostles. After Paul and Barnabas had proclaimed the good news to that city and made a considerable number of disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. They strengthened the spirits of the disciples and exhorted them to persevere in the faith, saying, It is necessary for us to undergo many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. They appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting commended them to the Lord in whom they had put their faith. Then they traveled through Pisidia and reached Pamphylia. After proclaiming the word at Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had now accomplished. And when they arrived, they called the church together and reported what God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our response, I will praise your name forever, my King and my God. I will praise your name forever, my King and my God. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. The Lord is good to all and compassionate toward all his works. I will praise your name forever, my King and my God. Let all your works give you thanks, O Lord, and let your faithful ones bless you. Let them discourse of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. I will praise your name forever, my King and my God. Let them make known your might to the children of Adam and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is a kingdom for all ages, and your dominion endures through all generations. I will praise your name forever, my King and my God. A reading from the book of Revelation. Then I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth. The former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, God's dwelling is with the human race. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will always be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death or mourning, wailing or pain, for the old order has passed away. The one who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. When Judas had left them, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and God will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. I give you a new commandment. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you also should love one another. This is how all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I could have been rich. I've never bet more than $2 on a horse in my life. In fact, I'm pretty sure I've never placed any bet more than $2, even in a casino, where I generally stay pretty close to the 25-cent poker machines. And once I lose that free roll of quarters that you get on those bus trips, I find the closest bar and I call it a day. But what if... I just bet on Rich Strike last weekend in the Kentucky Derby. Well, let's just say I might be more than content to write these reflections from a tropical island beach for the rest of my life. Talk about a long shot, though, huh? Actually, 
until about 8.58 on the Friday morning before the race, two minutes before the qualifying deadline, Rich Strike had zero shot. Not a long shot, but zero shot. He wasn't even scheduled to race at all. He was number 21 in a 20-horse race, and no other horses had been scratched, so he wasn't going to be in the race until suddenly number 20 got scratched and number 21 was in. So Rich Strike was in the race, assigned the worst starting position, starting furthest outside. He had only won uh, one of seven previous races, had not competed impressively in any of those races, demonstrated, uh, had not demonstrated notable speed or bested uh, any serious competition. His owner, in fact, had nearly quit the sport a few years ago, got out of the industry altogether. The horse's trainer and jockey had no real record of success, at least not at uh, the top level of the sport. Rich Strike was even in 18th place, more than halfway through the race. The odds at the beginning of the race uh, were 80 to 1 against him. This horse literally came out of nowhere to win one of horse racing's greatest prizes. And how did it happen? It happened through an improbable, if not impossible, confluence of events that could not have been orchestrated or planned, combined with strong relationships between owner, trainer, jockey, and horse, and a belief that if they had, if they just showed up when they needed to be there, anything was possible, even the impossible. The kingdom of God, I think, is just like that. The culmination of John's vision in the book of Revelation is this. John says, then I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth, a new heaven and a new earth. The former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. What's more impossible than this? The heaven and earth that we know is gone. Heaven and earth, gone. Everything that we have ever experienced, all that we have ever known, no longer exists. And something new, totally new, comes out of nowhere. And while the Lord makes all things new, this new order is the result, however unexpected, of all that has come before it. Remember, we're in chapter 21 of the book of Revelation here, after 20 chapters of the most colorful and intense confrontation that we've ever imagined. Good versus evil, with evil appearing to win. Overwhelming odds, higher than 80 to 1, with way more risk, insurmountable obstacles, obstacles, blinding chaos. The images John presents look to us as though they are more out of you know, a Lord of the Rings novel than any world we've ever known. John's narrative, of course, isn't meant to be literal, isn't meant to be read literally, but, but the emotions it brings up in our hearts and in our, in our, in our, the depths of our gut are very real. Fear, terror, despair, anger, helplessness, maybe even a sense of being abandoned by God. But what does this fanciful imagery correspond to in the world that we know, the real world, so to speak? Paul experienced it in, in his own way. The first verse of our, our, our first reading today sounds innocent enough, doesn't it? It says, after Paul and Barnabas had proclaimed the good news to that city and made a considerable number of disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Huh, just doing a little visiting, right? No big deal. Except for the last time that Paul was in Lystra, not very long ago, in fact, this is what happened. We hear, some Jews from Antioch and Iconium arrived, 
This is in Lystra. And won over the crowds. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Paul went back to the same people who had very nearly killed him the last time he went to their town. In fact, they actually thought they killed him. Imagine their surprise when he walks back through the gates, right? And we hear, Paul and Barnabas strengthened the spirits of the disciples and exhorted them to persevere in the faith, saying, it's necessary for us to undergo many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Their story sounds something like rich strikes, long shot at best, no chance at worst. Just walking away with your dignity seems to be the most logical choice. Or you can confront the obstacles, build on relationships, and hope for a confluence of events that you can't orchestrate or plan. But Paul didn't come up with that strategy on his own. He followed the example and instruction of his Lord and Savior. We hear in our gospel reading today, when Judas had left them, Judas had left them, Jesus says, my children, I will be with you only a little while longer. In other words, the betrayal is in motion. He's 21st out of 20, Jesus says. He's not even in the race. And yet Jesus is undeterred. He's confident that it's all part of the plan. Granted, it's not his plan, but the Father's plan. And in his human nature, Jesus doesn't necessarily understand that plan. He can't see how it's going to turn out. It doesn't look like it's going to work, at least from a human perspective. But he knows what his part in the plan is. And his disciples have to follow on that same path. He says, I give you a new commandment, love one another. As I have loved you, so you should also love one another. This is how all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, the obstacles will be there, but don't run from them. Face them head on. Discover in those obstacles opportunities to love, even and especially perhaps those who stone you and leave you for dead. And the result Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. This is the new heaven and the new earth, when all things are made new. St. Pope uh, Paul VI called it a civilization of love, a long shot, an impossibility, that comes to pass through a confluence of events that could not have been orchestrated or planned, and just showing up with a commitment to love one another as he has loved us. An unauthorized leak from the Supreme Court recently resulted in a draft opinion written by Justice Alito in the Dobbs versus Jackson's women, Jackson Women's Health Organization case that if uh, it, it stays the way Alito originally wrote it, would overturn the uh, 1973 Roe versus Wade uh, decision that established a constitutional right to abortion nearly 50 years ago. That leak naturally has ignited intense uh, emotional responses on both sides of the debate. Abortion advocates argue that government has no right to interfere in a woman's uh, pregnancy or the choice to terminate it. And pro-life advocates, of course, jubilantly foresee a victory that was once seen as a greater long shot than rich strikes victory. For Catholics, any, any elective abortion is the intentional killing of a human being. So how do we react to the possibility of a major change in the pro-life landscape? There have been, thankfully, isolated arson attempts, graffiti, hate speech, on churches and, and pro-life advocacy groups, 
by uh, pro-abortion advocates. But what if attacks grow and become more violent? Do we post armed guards in our churches and respond to violence with the threat of violence in return? Or do we, as one writer wondered, offer the protesters coffee, ask them to come pray with us, and offer them a seat at the table in developing solutions that protect women and children without sacrificing one for the other? Does that seem like a foolish hope or a kumbaya moment when we all know it will never happen? To me, it does. I admit it. But it just may be the new heaven and the new earth that comes to pass through a confluence of events that could not have been orchestrated or planned and just show, showing up with a commitment to love one another as he has loved us. The Preakness Stakes is on May 21st. Belmont Stakes is on June 11th. By late June, the Supreme Court will rule in Dobbs. Be there, committed to love, and anxious to see the Lord make all things new. In his time, of course. But pardon me if I pray for sooner rather than later. May Almighty God bless you this day, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Pray for the unborn. Pray for all women in difficult pregnancies. Pray for our country. Have a great day. Thank you.